if I'm a buyer and I'm prepping for a first meeting with a sales rep, I want to make sure that they understand what value means to me. And so in order to do that, I need to understand what is most valuable to me. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go. I'm your host, Jeff Tunn. Partner. It's a word that gets bandied about in the tech space a lot, almost to the point of making it meaningless. Every salesperson that comes into the CIO's office tells her they want to be a partner. We want a partnership, they say. What the CIO hears is, we want to sell you something. On the other side of the desk, I know as a CIO, I was guilty of espousing, I want more partners and fewer vendors. No matter what side of the desk you sit on, you are going to want to stick around for this episode. We're going to unpack what it means to be a partner, how to identify potential partners, and how we can drive value together. Today's guest is Anita Nielsen. Anita is the president of LDK Advisory Services and the author of the best-selling book, Beat the Bots, How Humanity Can Future-Proof Your Tech Sales Career. Welcome to the show, Anita. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I am so excited for our conversation today. So let's just jump right into it. Your career has been focused on helping sales professionals grow and thrive in their careers. Over this time, how have you seen the role of the sales rep evolve? That's a great question. I think there's a myriad of ways in which sales has changed in general. Probably the most important one is access to information. Historically, sales professionals have had the majority of the information. They're the ones that um, have all the product knowledge, the detail information that they need to give to help a customer make a decision. That's all changed. The internet has made it where buyers can go out and find any kind of information they need and oftentimes be very knowledgeable before they even engage a sales professional. So that means if now the information as a sales professional that you always had to help you differentiate and help you make the buyer successful is no longer just with you. What is? So what is the question becomes, what is it that you can do to help that buyer beyond what they're already doing for themselves, which is getting the information online? So with that in mind and the idea that many times the buyer might know more about a particular topic, a particular technology, since we're talking tech space, how do you suggest that the sales rep prepare for those types of conversations? Yeah, preparation is probably the most important thing in our world, um, in our buying environment today. Basically, what I tell the sales reps is, you know, think from the mindset of that customer who you're going to go meet. They've done their research. They know about your company. They know about you. They've looked at your online footprint. So learn about them, but then also go in there and be very authentic. That's super important because chances are they've learned enough about you to be able to tell if you're not being forthright with them. So prepare in terms of what that customer needs to understand and know during that meeting in order to advance you in your sale. So really put the perspective of that customer in your mind. That's probably the biggest thing for preparation is be in that mindset of customer success. I think that is such a great suggestion. As I was on the other side of the desk, it used to drive me crazy when someone would 
come in to talk to me about their solution and they knew very little about what our organization did or even very little about me and and my role. The funniest story that always just drove me crazy was I was CIO for Goodwill here in central Indiana. And many of our listeners are familiar with what Goodwill does. It takes used items and resells them. And yet I would get pitched all the time with the question of, hey, what do you do with your old laptops when you're done? We will buy them from you and uh, refurbish them and resell them. And I would look at them and say, what do you think we do? We take used stuff and resell it. Why am I going to give my uh, old laptops to you uh, when you're doing it? So that homework piece is so important to prepare for the call. Yeah, absolutely. And that mindset has everything to do with it, right? If if, he, if that person would have gone in with the mindset of what matters to you, they would have probably asked you more questions instead of just coming in not knowing that information. And I think it's, it's interesting because I know in our call the other day, we were talking about this. How many times do our listeners, those that are in the buyer position, how many times do they prep for a call and understand about the person that's in front of them or what the solution is or where it fits. So I think I think it goes both ways, which begins to form the foundation for that relationship is if we know more about each other, we're going to be able to come up with a better solution together. I love that. And I think that, you know, if a buyer does take that time to prep, it really helps facilitate that conversation in a mutually beneficial way. So for example, if I'm a buyer and I'm prepping for a first meeting with a sales rep, I want to make sure that they understand what value means to me. And so in order to do that, I need to understand what is most valuable to me from that interaction that I'm about to have. And going in with that mindset and knowing that, you know, if that sales rep is going to engage me in a way that helps me articulate that value, that is the best foundation for a relationship. They're not assuming what value means to me. That's right. Because it could be different, right. right? It could be efficiency. You know, that's what I value most is I, I need to make our company more efficient or it could be I'm looking for ways to generate new revenue streams. I mean, the wide variety of things, right? And to know that you're going to have to dig in and, and understand what value means to the person on the other side of the desk. Exactly. So put yourself in the mind of the buyer and you have a need, some sort of need, but how do you identify the vendors or the sales reps that are going to suit you the best that are going to fit in with what you're trying to do and potentially become that partner. So we're about to enter a two-way interview, Jeff. I'm going to turn that on to you <laughs> and ask you, what are your thoughts on that, right? Because you've been in that role and I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. You know, it's hard sometimes to know. Um, and people ask me all the time, well, you know, why did you answer that particular call or that particular email versus some of the others? And sometimes it's timing. Um, you know, I have a need, the email or the phone call resonated with that need, but it's really about, have they taken the time to get to know my company? Have they taken the time to get to know me? Um, I have examples of sales executives that I knew for years before I ever did business with them because the timing just wasn't right. What they had didn't fit my needs, but they were willing to invest in the relationship. And by that, I don't mean things like, hey, they 
would take me to a football game or, or a round of golf or whatever. No, they would invest by spending time talking about business, talking about technology, many times teaching me about mm-hmm. technology. And those were the ones that earned my trust over the years. Uh, and those are the ones I reached to to do business. So I know many times uh, sales reps that have a quota to meet, they want to move quickly, but it really has to be that relationship, that time to build that knowledge of each other. That's right. And and I love that because at the end of the day, the word that you said that I think is most meaningful is trust, right? When you have a sales professional that's chasing a quota, for example, a lot of times that customer is going to feel like they're just being sold to or that they're part of a sale. What customers need to feel like is that they're part of a relationship. And sometimes that does take longer than the first 10 meetings, right? It could be over any amount of time. The idea is, and this is kind of my answer to your question, is as a, as a CIO or as a buyer, To me, it's very, very important that the person that I consider to partner with is going to create a value that makes me look good. Right. Right. Let's be honest. At the end of the day, CIOs are people, they have a job, they have a career, they have things that they want to achieve. Not only are they responsible for for that company's success in terms of, you know, whatever purchasing decision they're making, they are responsible for their own livelihood and success too, right? So for me, I want someone that I know I can trust to help me make sure I see all the risks and all the challenges so that I don't make a misstep. And that is definitely a function of trust. Yes, yes. And I always love to joke that the realization hits you that, hey, we're both in this for uh, making money for our companies <laughs> and to grow in our careers. So we have mutual ground we can stand on to begin to form that relationship, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we can work toward, and that's where the collaboration comes in. We can work toward a common goal, right? Both of us need to be successful. We both need to be mindful of each other's success. That's right. And if we're I hate to use the cliche of win-win or win-win-win, but that's really what it's about. You're trying to find Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that mutual ground, that mutual value. How do we drive value together to solve an issue, solve a problem? Yeah. And one of the things that I've noticed is the sales professionals, for example, that actually do that and that they are really focused on the customer success, they create customers for life. And what happens is if you're working with a CIO at one company and you've done a great job as a sales professional, being trustworthy, having integrity, being committed to their success, and you get through that in a win-win sort of way, now when that CIO leaves to either another company or becomes a CEO, you're the only person that they're going to want to buy from, right? That sales professional is who they want to call because they know that they can trust that person is going to help them win. Yes, Yes. So I'm going to put a a shameless plug in here for your book, Beat the Bots, because (laughs) I just finished reading my copy the other day. And I loved a lot of the the parts of the book, but the one that really stood out to me, which was kind of the theme throughout the book, was the rider and the elephant. And I think you can, no matter what side of the desk you sit on, I think that analogy holds. So could you talk us through that as you're teaching sales reps to prep for their call and what types of things they need to be thinking about? 
Sure, sure. So the rider elephant um, is a metaphor that a gentleman called Jonathan Haidt, who's a professor, um, he came up with this metaphor as a way to help people understand how the human mind works. And so the way that it works is the human mind has two systems, a rational and an emotional. In the analogy, the rational mind is represented by a rider who is sitting atop a six-ton elephant, which represents the emotional mind. And so the way it works is, you know, as I'm talking to sales professionals or really anybody for that matter, is if you're trying to create change of any kind, which selling and buying are absolutely ways of change, you need to make sure that you're appealing to that rider and the elephant. The rider wants to know information and data and statistics and evidence of, of what is going to help them, right, in order to make that change. The elephant, on the other hand, is a little bit different, right? It's, it, it wants to know more of that emotional side. We've all heard that saying, right? People buy on emotion and then justify with reason. This analogy pertains to that. So if you're looking at a customer and you address all of their rational needs and they've got all the information, they've got references and everything, sometimes they still may not buy. Why? Because you may not, as a rep, address their emotional needs. For example, risk. Some of the buying decisions that CIOs make put their career on the line, especially in our world of digital transformation. In order for me to be successful as a CIO, I have to work with somebody who's not going to let me stumble. And that's part of what, as a sales professional, you have to go in and convince your customer that from an emotional standpoint, I'm going to help eliminate risk. I'm going to help allay your fears. And I'm going to help make sure that you come out of this much better than when you went in. And that's the emotional part of it. And so the coaching for sales professionals is before you go in to meet with a customer, make sure that you know that you're learning about both of those things, that you're learning what they need to know from an emotional level and a rational level. And that's super powerful. Um, you know, in working with sales reps for years, I found that analogy is probably the one thing that always sticks with them, you know, because it's easy to remember and it just keeps them on the right mindset of what they need to achieve in a customer meeting. And it's the same thing for a buyer, right? Like if I'm a buyer and I'm working with a sales professional, I know that I need to provide them with certain you know, general information about my company. Then I need to provide them with some more emotional information, such as what is right. valuable to me? How does this impact my career? So that's it, it, the gist of the rider elephant analogy. Well, and I think it also helps the, the buyer to understand that concept because, you know, we tend, especially as IT buyers, we tend to focus on the logic, the facts, the data, so kind of the writer aspects of it. And if we understand that that we are making decisions based on emotion, then we can identify what those emotions are. I think it helps us make better decisions as well. It's okay to make a decision based on emotion. There's nothing wrong with that. But you have to understand what those emotions are. That's right. And chances are you're making that decision based on emotion anyway, subconsciously. But it's much better if you know what your elephant is about going into it. And uh, you know, and that's kind of the image that I, I want people to understand is that when in doubt, if you think about that rider and the elephant, if they disagree or if there's a discrepancy between the rational and the emotional mind, who's going to win? Who's your money on? Is it on that little rider sitting on top of the elephant or the six-ton elephant? That's right. That's right. Yeah. My money would be on the elephant, I think. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how do we begin to take a vendor relationship, a vendor-buyer relationship, and begin to form that partnership? What are some of the key steps that you think both parties need to make to get to partnership? 
Yeah, I love that question. I think from a vendor standpoint, when you think about a traditional vendor, you think about somebody who's coming in and they have products and solutions, and they're going to help you address an existing need or challenge or problem. Right. When we think about a partner, that person is more there to help you not only address the current needs and challenges and problems, but help you see the ones that you haven't seen yet, right, based on their experience or expertise. You know, when you're at a vendor level, if it's more of a fulfillment situation where you're actually ordering equipment or creating a, or buying a solution, that's pretty straightforward. You know, there doesn't necessarily need to be you know, a very deep relationship at that level. And you're not really getting a lot of the insight and benefit from that vendor. Whereas if you're working with a partner, that relationship is the one that's founded on trust. And you are looking to that partner because they do go above and beyond just solving that problem that you call them about. So you've talked to a lot of sales professionals over the years. What's your favorite story about someone who successfully navigated from initial introduction into partnership? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for me, one of the things that a sales professional can do that just um, is super important is just be authentic and, and be real, right? No one wants to buy from somebody who's stiff and just going in and being super duper professional because then how are you supposed to create that trust? I can't be vulnerable and share the things that I need from an emotional standpoint if I don't feel like you're able to do that as a sales professional. So I think that is really, really important is to be able to understand that. I'll, I'll ask the the opposite question. What's one of the horror stories that you've seen happen without naming any names or companies, but where did someone really fall down on trying to, to do this? Yes, for sure. So my, my favorite story to tell, and it's actually in the book as well, is about Ted, a sales professional who you know, worked for a company that sold cloud solutions and services. He went into a customer meeting and he started to ask some questions of the customer, open-ended questions, right? So he was doing what he's supposed to do. And the customer was kind of giving short answers, not really engaging at a deep level. Well, Ted, you know, being human, decided that he, he wasn't getting anywhere and now he's nervous and he wanted to pull out his PowerPoint slide deck. And so he does this. He pulls out his PowerPoint slides. The first slide he puts up, one of the first bullets on the slide is CapEx to OpEx, right, which refers to expenditure and how a company makes investments. So he goes into this whole thing about how important it is to go into cloud because of the sh- being able to shift from CapEx to OpEx and have a more predictable um, cost structure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Finally, when he takes a breath, the customer chimes in and says, you know what? We don't want to do anything OpEx. We are a CapEx company. <laughs> oh, we need that for yeah. depreciation yeah. and for tax purposes. So that is not going to change. So we are not going that direction. And so right away, now Ted is flustered and upset. And I'm sitting there, mind you, as an embedded coach, just wanting to facepalm. Yeah. You can't, he should have asked, right? And and the flip side of that is the sales reps that win are the ones that go in and say, hey, listen, what matters to me is what this means to you. Yeah. So my company has a totally different view of cloud than the company down the street. Same thing with digital transformation. What DX means to me is so different, vastly different than what it means for any other company. There's some basic tenants that are similar, but how we apply that transformational mindset to what I do in a company is very different. And so if I have a sales rep that comes in and says, okay, listen, help me understand what this means to for you. What does digital transformation look like in your company? Instead of coming in and pitching all the different things that digital transformation is, which right. may not be applicable. Yeah, it's it's meeting the, the customer where they are, or the prospect right. where they are, and trying to understand 
it, it kind of gets back to the value statement, right? What's mm-hmm. of value to them? And uh, there is a time and a place for showing everything that your company can do, but probably not at that point in the process of building that partnership. Yeah. And what you do is, you know, you ask the questions because of course that rider information, you know, how many customers your or how many logos your company works with, where your locations are, all that information is important. Now, chances are they got a lot of it online, but even if they didn't, you know that that information's at the ready and you'll be able to give it to them at any point in time. Right. So use the initial time that you have with them to build that rapport and create that trust back to the authenticity and the vulnerability. Be real and, and make sure that they, the customer understands as a buyer that you understand the buying is a very difficult thing for them in that role, right? And that there's a lot riding on it. And your job is to figure out how to make sure that they come out ahead on the other side. Yeah, you you brought up the logo slide. uh, You know, people almost even apologize uh, for showing the logo slide, right? It's, well, the obligatory logo slide. That's right. I think as a buyer, what I was more interested in were the logos that looked like me, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm from Indianapolis and one of the largest employers in our city is Eli Lilly, pharmaceutical Mm -hmm, firm. mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many vendors would come in and say, well, we do business with Eli Lilly. I don't care. Right. (laughs) 20,000 times my size and I'm in a totally different line of business. That means nothing to me. But if you tell me that, hey, you work with five other nonprofits that do this, this, and this, now you got my attention. That's right. And that's one of the things that I try to coach sales reps um, to do very early on is explain something that they've done for a company that's similar to that buyer. And the flip side of that, if I'm a buyer and I'm in the process of selecting who I'm going to call my partner, I want to be able to say, you know what, who have you done this for in the past? and get a really good answer. And if you get a sales professional who's hemming and hawing about telling you a common, um, somebody in your industry that they've done this for and that they've done a good job for, your spidey sense should start to go off, right? You should be able to think, okay, what are they really gonna bring to me if they've never been in this space? And you know, sometimes if they haven't, that's okay too. I'm not saying that that's always a way to disqualify them, but understand why they think that despite the fact they haven't done something for a company exactly like yours, why they think they can do it for you. There may be a good answer, who knows? But by and large, I coach buyers to say, you know what, help me understand what you've done for another company just like me. And that's what right. matters to me. Yeah, it's what industries have you done work in? What do you know about those industries? How are they like me? How are they not like me? Those types of things are so important. I used to always say, I always knew when I had a good relationship with one of my vendors, when they did one of two things, or maybe even both. One would be to tell me, no, we don't do that. The other one would be, no, Jeff, you're wrong. If those things happened, I knew we had a good relationship. That's one of the things that I stress here is, you know, our our three uniques are right premises, right technology, right model. That doesn't mean any premises, any technology, any model. It's knowing what the client needs Mm -hmm. and drawing on our expertise to provide that recommendation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's that's so important. So that goes back to what we're talking about. Two things. One, asking the right questions to determine what value means to that customer. That's how you tailor whatever your recommendation is going to be. 
right? And then second, there's a trust factor there. You have to be able to create trust in order to proceed with a customer. And how do you best do that? Don't be a yes person. As a sales professional, customers don't buy it when you tell them that your company can do everything for everyone. That's not attractive as a buyer to me. I need to know what you can do well for me and what you can't do well for me. And the more upfront you are with me about that, the more that trust is going to build and the more I'm going to want to talk to you. And if I'm wrong, please, for the love of God, tell me I'm wrong because I don't want to look a fool in front of my boss and my peers on the committee that's making this decision. That's right. So we talked about the transactional vendor or uh, however you want to categorize that. We've talked about the partner relationship and the partner vendor. What about something like a strategic service provider? What sets them apart from the rest? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I think of strategic service provider, I think of a, you know, a partner to the ultimate level. So I joke about it in the book, but you know, this is your guy or gal. This is the person as a CIO or as a IT buyer, you know, is going to have your back. And so what does that look like, right? Typically as a partner or a vendor, you are of course helping the customer and you want them to be successful, but you're helping them with their agenda. As a partner, what you're doing is you're bringing your expertise, whether from industry or product or technology, and your knowledge to that customer in a way that helps impact that CIO's actual agenda. You can, as a partner, because you've created that level of trust and proven yourself to that CIO, you now can go in and help them define or shape their IT strategy. And and they want you to because they know that you have the wealth of information that can help them be better. What are some things that... CIOs should be looking for when they're looking for uh, a partner, a strategic service provider? What, what are some of the characteristics that they need to be thinking about? Yeah, great question. I think, you know, like I've said before, authenticity, honesty, integrity, those are all really important. Um, there's no appetite for the old school, slimy, sneaky, shading sales professionals. That cannot be a thing anymore. <laughs> and so they, they've got to take a look and see how hard did that sales professional work to understand what matters to me. To me, that's a critical question. And what investment has that sales professional made in me outside of the meetings that they've had with me? So I'll give you an example of that. One thing as a CIO that, you know, we talked about information. I'm constantly doing research and trying to learn more. I'm getting bombarded with articles from different um, CIO magazines and boards. And it's just so much information. There's a lot of noise. So what does a partner do? A sales rep that is part of a, a partnership at that strategic level, he's out there reading the same things and going through and saying, you know what? This is something that that customer really needs to know. And then he's taking the article and putting it in a PDF and highlighting it and creating some notes and sending it back to that CIO and saying, hey, I came across this and I really think it's important based on what we talked about that you read this. Now you've differentiated yourself to me. You've taken and gotten me something that I wouldn't have gotten through because of all the noise that I'd have to get through to get it. So that's more of that strategic partner level. And and you want to look for that person who's going to go above and beyond in those ways and have your best interest at heart, whether that's finding some content online or even connecting you to different people in the business world that, that can benefit you. So those are two of the biggies, I think. And then last but not least, you know, you want somebody who is a purveyor of value. And I, let me explain that. So it can't just be someone who's going to bring you their products and solutions, even if they impact your IT strategy. This is a person that you can count on to give you advice about anything that has to do with the technology. So that customer 
may ask them just for guidance or general advice. And then that sales professional is going to do maybe exactly what you said earlier, Jeff, and say, no, you know what? My company is not the best at that. But let me get you in touch with this partner of ours who's amazing at it. And let's set that up. And then maybe even attend that meeting with them. That's a strategic service provider. Ultimately, the customer's best interest is at their heart. I think you are so right. When I look back on the relationships that I've had with my providers, either as a CIO or even before that, it's it's those that took the time to provide that value. We've said that before, but I love the example of finding some content online and knowing that, oh, you know, Jeff would really be interested in that. And so I'm going to send him this article and it helps me because as a CIO, you've got 10,000 things on your plate and you don't have time to dig into all of that data that's available to us and to be able to cut through that and provide that and teach and help show the way that becomes that strategic service provider. I love that example. Yeah, and proactive, right? Like I think that's another biggie. Um, they're proactive. So not only are they addressing the needs that you have now, but they're out there learning about challenges that haven't even hit you yet, right? And they're getting you prepared for those challenges and making you aware of the things. And that's huge as well. Again, that goes back to the trust and knowing that they have your best interest at heart and they're looking out for you. A great example just actually has happened uh, just a short while ago. I posted on LinkedIn a response to a friend of mine that was doing uh, something related to artificial intelligence. I can't even remember now what it was, but I posted a comment on that about, I'd love to know the difference between X and Y, Mm -hmm. just making it up, right? And within a couple of hours, I had in my inbox from one of my vendors an article that explain the difference between X and Y. Love it. That was fabulous. That's right. That was a great way to build a relationship and build that partnership. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it goes to research too. So so maybe you don't have that opportunity with, with LinkedIn, but if you're preparing for that meeting with a customer and you have an idea from what they're working on or the few questions you've asked when you set up the meeting, start there. Don't start from scratch with, you know, what your questions are about the technologies that you're going to sell. Start from what you already know about them. And it's about tailoring your message in a way that matters to the customer. Anita, as usual, we could talk for hours about (laughs) partnership and relationship and sales, but to kind of wrap things up for today, we're going to turn the tables Mm -hmm. a little bit here because I, I normally like to end with, hey, what's a couple of action items that someone can implement tomorrow in their day to make a difference. And your focus is typically on the sales side of the desk. But what I'd love for you to do is give us one or two things that the IT leaders that are listening to us today can do differently tomorrow. Yeah, that's a good one. So the first thing I would say is, you know, if you've got people that you're working with that are vendors or even partners that you're trying to see, maybe they could be a strategic service provider or partner, call them. The action here would be pick up the phone, call them and ask them, hey, what do you think I need to be worried about? And just see where that goes. Because the people that you want to work with at a strategic partnership level, they will know that answer. And if they don't, that's okay too. They will bring you an expert who knows that answer. And so that's, I think, one actionable thing that you can really do. Because ultimately, as a buyer, 
if you can find that strategic service provider that's going to partner with you, I mean, you'll be with them for many, many years to come regardless of where you or they go. So start there. And I think that's a really important action. And the second action I would say is before you go into meetings with these vendors, do some prep yourself, right? Try to think through how you're going to articulate what matters most to you to that sales professional. And think back to the rider and elephant. Like, what is it that I need to know that's going to help me have the objective information that I need to make this buying decision? And what do I need to know from an emotional standpoint that's going to make this buying decision possible for me? That's great advice. I think that uh, is fantastic for our listeners to uh, implement tomorrow. That's right. Those two things. That's great. I know, but I want to hear yours now. So for the sales reps. Yes. Okay. So as a buyer, I can tell the sales reps a couple of actions that uh, they should take starting tomorrow. We've touched on one quite a bit in our conversation today, and that is know your customer and know their company. Mm -hmm. There's so much available to you, so many tools available to learn about their company, learn about their industry, and learn about them so that you're walking in knowing who you're talking to right from the start. And that will go leaps and bounds to differentiate you from most of the people that walk into the CIO's office. The other thing I would say is know the difference between persistence and stalking. <laughs> I say that a little bit tongue in cheek, but there's a lot of reps that reach out to me even today with a phone call and they leave a voicemail and they're not expecting a phone call back. They're just checking in. And I don't, I, I think that's great. They have no expectation really that I'm going to return that phone call. They know that it keeps them top of mind, but they're not constantly hammering me with emails, calling me two or three times a day or a week or whatever. You know, it's just periodically someone will pick up the phone and say, Hey, Jeff, just was thinking about you today and uh, wanted to just check in. If you need anything, let me know. That's perfect. So those would be my two pieces of advice for the sales reps, sales professionals. I love it. And it's funny. So what I usually say is go ahead and be very thorough and um, follow up with your customers, but don't be creepy. So where yeah, you said yeah, yeah. my my uh, my way of looking at it is don't be creepy. Be there, be present and be available, but don't be obnoxious. Yeah. And ask, how often do you want me to follow up? That's right. You know, you might have said no today. Should I follow up in a month? Well, no, a month's probably too soon, but maybe two months, whatever it is. But ask. Don't hesitate to ask. When do you want me to follow up? Right. And the bonus there is when you do that follow up, now you've shown that you can make and keep small commitments. And that lends to your credibility and trust, which is back to where we started today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anita, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. I really do appreciate it. I do too. And thank you so much. I've loved this conversation, Jeff. It's always a great conversation. It is. Hey, thank you. For our listeners out there, I would encourage you to pick up Anita's book. She's not on here to do a commercial for her book, so I'll do it for her. It's a great book. And I don't care if you're in sales or not, you're going to learn some great lessons by picking up that book and, and having a read. If you have other questions or want to learn more, you can visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Anita Nielsen. Thank you so very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. 
You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.